0: Welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Katie from the Cumberland Public Library.
1: I also work at the Coventry Library and the Barrington Library. Um, I'm a reference assistant. Hi, my name is Becky Spradford. I am a reader's advisory specialist.
2: Uh, specializing in serving readers ages 13 and up. But my specialty within Reader's Advisory is horror. I am the author of the Reader's Advisory Guide to Horror 3rd
0: Edition, and my pronouns are she, her. All right. Thank you both for joining me this afternoon. Um, As Halloween approaches quickly, or at least it will be approaching quickly when our listeners listen to this episode, um, this is going to be our Halloween episode. (laughs) a little bit later in the show, we're going to talk all about horror and thrillers and all the kind of books that you want to read this time of year. Um, But before we get into that, uh, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading? Um, Right now I'm reading Gory
1: Details by Erica Engelhop. Um, It's like covering the dark side of science. Um, It's a lot of little bits, so it's not like too much on any particular subject, but it all seems to be pretty well researched. So it's kind of neat to see how all those things go together to have what we have now is like for science.
2: That's awesome. I said, I'm going to read that one. I'm writing it down. (laughs) I am currently reading a book that isn't going to come out yet uh, for a few months called Don't Fear the Reaper by Stephen Graham Jones. But I would highly suggest all of you who are listening, go read the first book in the series, My Heart is a Chainsaw. And I am also currently reading all of the books on the Andrew Carnegie Medal for Fiction and Nonfiction long list, which came out when we were recording this because I am on that committee and we have to narrow it down right after Halloween to three fiction and three nonfiction. So that's a little horrific to think about, but we're doing it. So that's currently what I'm reading.
0: Yeah. As, as someone who's on a, a state committee, I'm on the Teen Book Award Committee, we narrowed down our long list to a pick of 20 ish books and then the teens are the one that picks like the winner and the two oh, runners up you are lucky so, yeah I was gonna say to think about a long list being paired down to six books is yeah yeah we we narrated to 22 fiction and
2: 21 non-fiction and we got to pick three and three of each so and then a winner wow it seems <laughs> like
0: you have your work cut out for you um but I know you also before we started recording in the show we're talking about putting together a list of like your favorites for the year um so do you want to talk about a couple of books that you really enjoyed that came out this year i would love to i wasn't sure if we should do that now or later but um it's yes yeah, so
2: i review fiction for book list and library journal and um so for book lists, they come out in every issue one or two reviews by me and in library journal i actually do a horror review column a few times a year so they, they publish in january April, June, and October's issues, with July being a huge genre preview. And one of the other things I get to do for being the official horror columnist for Library Journal is I'm on the team to pick the um, best of the year. And believe it or not, we're in October and we're already really into those deliberations of the best horror of the year. So some of the ones that I really, that I personally know, because when you're on a committee to pick best, as we're talking about, you know, it's not just about your personal best, right? It's about thinking about all types of readers and all the different other people that are part of the decision-making process. So one of the things I prepared this year for, I I go out to a lot of libraries and give uh, talks about like, you know, if you don't like horror, what are the books you should really talk about? And so I actually have, six sure bets for 2022 that are already out that I wanted to mention. Um, and then, of course, like I said, there'll be different books than this in the long list. But the first one is The Paul Bears Club by Paul Tremblay, which is great for any reader because it's it's perfect Paul Tremblay. It's absolutely terrifying, but it also could just be all real or it could be supernatural. In the terms of The Paul Bears Club, it's a fake memoir, by a character named Art Barbara and his best friend, who may or may not be a vampire from New England, by the way. Some of the book is set in Rhode Island, actually. Um, And it's based on an actual New England vampire. And that book is fantastic. I gave it a star review and book list. The other book I think is really the best horror book of the year, completely different, extremely violent, and yet also heartbreakingly beautiful in the way it's written, is The Devil Takes You Home by Gabino Iglesias which is what he calls Barrio Noir. It is a look at the absolute horrors of living on the fringes of society, both um, at the border between Mexico and America, also as a brown person in America, somebody without much money who's gone broke because of the healthcare system and the desperate road trip that they go on. This, there is a lot of brutal violence. These, the supernatural monster that shows up has nothing on the drug cartels. Um, Another book that's getting quite a lot of talk is, um, and I really enjoyed as well, is a lot shorter and sort of in the middle when we talk about uh, what the scare level um, would be. What Moves the Dead by T. Kingfisher. That also came out this past year. It is a retelling of um, The Fall of the House of Usher. It has really great fungus horror, which is a huge theme right now. In horror um really great fungus story and it also uses a non-binary um main character and those are three to sort of set off the that are some of my favorites from the past year
0: all right awesome i see I, this is showing of me not having horror on my radar at all i've never really heard of fungus horror or even imagine what that's about well do you know that um did you hear about mexican
2: gothic a few years ago when it was super popular I heard of the
0: title
2: that yeah. it, that hinges on a fungus. I see Katie agreeing, right, Ooh. Katie?
1: I loved that one. Yes,
2: yeah. that hinges on a fungus causing most of the problems. Oh,
0: okay. See, that just fungus just made me think of The Last of Us and the because The Last of Us was all about a pair that now I forget what it's called. Cordyceps. It's like a parasitic fungus for ants, but basically the whole premise is that like it mutates and now it's in humans and it makes zombie-like
2: creatures. Well, sure, if you think about it, Chuck Wendig had a really popular book a few years ago called um, The Wander called Wanderers. There's no that Wanderers. And the new one is actually coming out in November, the second one called Wayward. And Wanderers was based on a fungus coming from bats and basically wiping out all of humanity as well. It was on many best lists when it came out. Um, And then another real big book this year that's getting a lot of buzz that came out in September, The Ghost Eaters by Clay McLeod Chapman is about a drug that allows you to see ghosts and to literally be haunted yourself. And um, that is also based on a fungus. It's it's a big trend right now.
0: (laughs) Okay, you've well, maybe you didn't hear it here first because it's apparently a big thing that I didn't know about. But fungus horror. There we go. All right, so besides reading, have either of you been watching anything interesting? I saw the
1: New Smile movie recently. <gasps> I loved that. I was very hey, impressed with it. I heard it was extremely scary. Yeah. yeah I'm looking at,
2: I'm looking at everyone's smile right now and I'm freaking out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I don't actually see if we're gonna talk about horror movies or horror TV. I don't do a lot of it. I spend so much time working reading. I'm paid to read so many horror books. I tend to go in a different direction. So this time of year, I watch a lot of football. Um, my my guilty pleasure is Jersey Shore because I'm originally from New Jersey. So I do watch <laughs> that a lot. Um, but I do really enjoy um, watching horror movies, just not this time of year, maybe. I'm very, because I'm just so busy with with doing so many appearances and talking about it. I am extremely excited though for M. Night Chaloman's Knock at the Cabin, which is coming out, which is based on Paul Tremblay's um, Cabin at the End of the World, which was the universal best book of the year in the horror world when it came out um, a a few years ago. So um, and I, I did see Nope this summer and just thought it was a fantastic movie from start to finish. The writing was excellent. The visuals were excellent. I still think about it. Um, I, I think it's one of the best movies I've seen in a few years.
1: So yeah, I loved that one too. It was fantastic. And I still think about it as well. It really resonates.
0: But yeah, this segment doesn't have to be horror-related. It could just be whatever you're watching.
2: <laughs> I watch a lot of football this every year. And and I, I'm gonna say this, and you might not want to keep it in, but um, because you are in New England and I grew up in New Jersey, although my daughter is at college in New England and I went to college in New England. But tonight that we are taping this, the Yankees start in the playoffs. So that is basically going to be what I'm doing every night (laughs) watching on television until they're done, which hopefully is not until next month.
0: Um, so, but that's probably going to make all of your listeners angry. Maybe that's good. I thought you were going to talk smack about the Patriots because you started saying about football and then well, was I like, do oh, no, like, what is she going to say about <laughs> the Patriots? I do love the New York Giants and I try not to rub in the New York Giants to Patriots fans. My boyfriend is a Giants fan too. So he was happy this weekend because they won, I think.
2: Did yes, they? they did in London. Yes,
0: in London. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um,
2: yeah, no, it'll, it'll just be feel like...
0: It'll just be dead silent in the apartment, besides the game playing, and then suddenly, like from the other room, I'll just hear like loud clapping, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" Um, But yeah, so I heard more clapping than yelling, so that's usually a sign that they won.
2: Katie,
1: what
0: do you watch that
2: isn't horror based? Do you have any? (laughs) I've admitted Jersey Shore, baseball.
1: (laughs) Um, lately, the only thing I've really been watching that isn't scary is Brooklyn Nine Nine. That's been my binge show lately.
2: Great binge show. That is some fun
0: times. I like that. Yeah, it's good to laugh at and it's a fun show. I want to try Brooklyn Nine-Nine again because I watched like most of the first season and then just like got distracted with other shows and never went back. Andy Samberg is pretty much always funny, so.
2: I even like his commercials with Snoop Dogg. (laughs) I like actually watch those commercials because they are so many, but I will say in terms in terms of talking about this being October and both of us liking scarier things, both Katie and I, it, it is interesting. I you need to have both sides, right? It's fun to be scared, but you also need to be able to laugh. And I think it's it's really shows a lot that Katie is watching a show that's really well done, but really funny, you know. <laughs> I think, and and I think that's what happens with me with the sports and with Jersey Shore. It's just a respite from the real horrors in the world plus the horrors that we're reading in our books it's it's a nice
1: balance i usually watch the comedy stuff right before bed like the whole daytime is horror but bedtime (laughs) bedtime is for funny stuff
2: i love that the whole daytime is horror that's that's (laughs) a great tagline
0: and we'll return to the show after a quick break William Hall's popular used book sale is back. Join us rain or shine from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Saturday, November 5th in the William Hall Library Auditorium. Books for adults, teens, kids, fiction and nonfiction, along with DVDs, CDs, and some vinyl will be for sale. Books for adults are $1 and books for kids are 50 cents. We hope you join us for some of these awesome books. Looking for a movie to watch? Canopy has over 30,000 feature films and documentaries for you to stream for free. Log in using your Cranston library card and receive eight free play credits each month. That's eight movies every month that you can watch for free. You can watch the 2016 Academy Award winning film, Moonlight, Taika Waititi's horror comedy, What We Do in the Shadows, and many more films today with Canopy. Go to cranstonlibrary.org to find a link to sign into Canopy today. Um, all right. So, uh, I mean, we've already jumped into it with because it seems like your current picks have been things that you've, you know, had the scary on your mind. Um, but let's jump into your recommendations for people who are looking for some scary books this Halloween season. And I thought we'd start off kind of like least scary and and go from there so what are both of your picks for things that are kind of thematic maybe a little supernatural or a little scary but um would appeal to even the faint of heart um pretty much anything wendy
1: webb my favorite of hers is the fate of mercy Alvin. um but she always writes about like somebody inheriting a, a mansion from some family member dying or whatever. But they go there and it's haunted. Um, it's kind of like cookie cutter ish, but they all have different like themes and stories. And the plot lines are actually really well done. Um, she's very, it's like a cozy horror. I would say one of
2: my first picks that came out this year would be Reluctant Immortals by Gwendolyn Keist. What I really like about this book. Is um, is that it is, um, so it's about Lucy from Dracula and it's about Beatrice from Jane Eyre, the the wife that gets burned in the attic. And what I really like about it is that, yes, it's a little bit scary, but it's more a story about stories and about storytelling. It's also a book about forgotten women because they're now living in 1967, the summer of love in California and the two of them are trying to stop um, Rockchester and Dracula from sort of coming back into power. So th- there are scary moments, but it's really a great book for people who very much enjoy um, stories about stories. And especially those who are a little bit too scared to try the real scary. Like you don't want to read Dracula? Fine. But you can read about Kick Butt Lucy who, um, you know, doesn't get her say and her story told in Dracula, but gets to really live it out. So that would be my pick for this season for the little bit less scary, but still entrenched in horror.
0: All right. Um, So yeah, I guess we'll move along to kind of middle of the road scary. So people who have done horror before and they know that they're comfortable with it, but they don't want really like scare your pants off kind of books. Mm -hmm. Um,
1: Come Closer by Sarah Graham it was a really cool possession story um, because it takes, it's a really short book, which is nice, but it's the perspective is the person who's being possessed, which is kind of unique. You don't see that so much, um, but it was really short and sweet and very well done. Uh, that's,
2: that's a great author too, I think, to give to people as they're um, learning and trying these other things One of the authors I really like to suggest to people who is very good at doing slightly more scary, um, but still, I feel like this is like the next, there's two levels. I'm going to give you like the one A and the one B. Almakatsu. Almakatsu writes amazing historical horror. Um, Many people who like horror often say she's not very scary, but people who are new to it that we give to it are definitely scared by it. What does she do? She takes a historical event and she then adds horror to it. So let's start with her lightest horror uh, of her historical horror novels. um, And that would be The Deep, which is based around the sinking of the Titanic and then another ship sinking and one character um, who's on both ships. And there is this like sea witch story woven in. It is really scary in terms of, you know, a lot of these people are going to die, but it also um, goes a little bit further with that creepy sea witch, but not too much. Then I would say her next most scary is The Hunger, uh, which is very scary because it's based on the Donner Party. She literally tells the story of the Donner Party, which is scary enough, but then she adds in this level of. Um, well, stupid white people not listening to the natives who are telling them that something bad is out there. Um, so there is this very scary but not formed monster. And then I would say the book that's the scariest, which is also going to be on a lot of best lists this year, is The Fervor, which is a retelling of the incarceration of, um, of Asian Americans in internment camps. And I did say incarceration because I use that word it was more than just interning, and it's got a a demon from the old country coming. But it might be the scariest because it is it is about the horror of racism then and now. And I think that that's um, it's really important to point out and something we definitely need to be aware of. Um, so, in general, I would say. She's just a little bit of a step up in terms of the scare factor, but I would want to add one more that's slightly more scary, um, but still not terrifying. And um, in that case, I would say Silvia Moreno-Garcia, who I already uh, just mentioned. Um, Mexican Gothic, many people are aware of. Her new book this year, The Daughter of Dr. Moreau, is a retelling of um, the island of Dr. Moreau, but on the Yucatan um, in Mexico, And I, she does, her books seem a little tame and they seem like, oh, I can handle this if I'm not too scared. And then they do burst open. I know Katie, you've read Mexican Gothic as well. They do burst open into terror, but I feel like they're a nice next step because it's just for a
0: little bit. Mm. (laughs) Um, All right. So then I guess we'll we'll cap off with our, or your scariest picks. So people who are like, Give me, give me the scariest you got.
1: Okay, I have a couple on the more scary level because that's where I usually am. <laughs> <laughs> me too, me too. I definitely wanted to talk about the author um, Thomas olde Um He's kind of new in America. He's a Dutch author. Um, his two books that we have here are Hex and Echo. Echo came out in February this year and I loved it. I loved Hex too, but... Echo was a cool type of possession story that it was just incredibly unique. He's really fun to read. And he also does a really good job of um, like comedic relief in the stories. Um, So like, I'll find myself really horrified, but then laughing the next minute. So he's fun. Um, I also really love Hell House by Richard Matheson. Haunted houses are kind of my thing. That's my favorite type of horror. And Hell House is like the Mount Everest of haunted houses. It's kind of everything you could want in a haunted house story. And I also wanted to mention the terror by Dan Simmons because, um, Alakatsu kind of reminded me of that as well. It's historical fiction about the Franklin expedition where two ships, um, in 1845 got trapped in the ice up above Canada and they were stuck there for at least two years before they started to like walk away. Um, so Dan Simmons takes on um, the whole horrors around that and adds in a nice extra horrible monster as well. So that one was pretty scary.
2: And I want to talk about a couple um, books specifically, and then maybe like an author or two as well. So in terms of like scary books, I think it's important um, that we talk about like the you, the words that are used when we talk about stories. Um, because often if you look in reviews, they'll use things like gruesome or violence. And I'm very careful to try to put those words in. But then there's books that win awards. And I think that people go into them not knowing what to expect. So I want to use a really great example. One of the best books that's been written this century um, by anyone, I think in any genre, but in horror specifically, it's The Only Good Indians by Stephen Graham Jones. I know I mentioned him previously. This book won every award it won the bram stoker it won the um the la times best speculative fiction book of the year this book got him the mark twain house prize for best american voice i mean this is a book that everyone should read i'm not sure everyone can read it though you know because it is i love it it is terrifying it begins with a scene where a monster is stalking one of the main characters the story is predicated on this idea That four um, native boys, when they're teenagers, go on an elk hunt illegally. It's not their turn. It's too early. And they, by mistake, kill a pregnant elk. Well, 10 years later, that elk is out for revenge. And she is going to get every single one of them. Um, There is a very gruesome scene that involves a dog. There is, I like to tell people, you will never be able to look at your ceiling fan the same way again. Um, there is, yeah, I see, right. Um, there is a very gruesome scene that's in a Native, Amer- Af- in a Native American sweathouse, but it also has an absolutely beautiful and optimistic ending with this young girl who is going to be who's going to be the next generation of these these this tribe and save them, um, hopefully. So it's got a lot to say, but it's but it's gruesome, right? Same thing, I mentioned Knock at the Cabin coming out as a movie. The Cabin at the End of the World, also the year year two before The Only Good Indians won all the awards. Again, New York Times, notable book, all of these things. This book is also terrifying. It is a home invasion story with a family. Um, it's two men and their adopted Chinese daughter. They are extremely loving family. There is a knock at the door. Four strangers come in and they b- claim that this family is um the that the world is about to end in an apocalypse unless this family makes a truly terrible choice. And if they do it, they can save the world. It is terrifying. It is terrifying and gruesome and violent as a horror story if this is true. It is also that way if this is just a home invasion story. Um so those are two that are extremely gruesome that I would, you know, be careful who I was giving them to. Um that being said, they're not the only scary, terrifying books, they're not only by men. Um, I do want to mention a couple other books that are sort of higher on the maybe on the gore than, and the, the fear, but Haley Piper is an amazing author. Her tagline is Make Horror Gay AF. I don't want to say it because we're on a library Um, Queen of Teeth was the. Um, superior achievement in a first novel. I was actually on that jury last year for the Stoker Awards. And, um, it is an amazing story about, well, it's about a young woman who has a vagina monster basically that comes out of her. It's a cosmic monster. It's a near future where she has been part of an experiment basically. And she's part chimera. These monsters have been put into her I loved it because it also took place in Newark, which, again, I said I was from New Jersey, so I like stories <laughs> there. But it was, a, what, it was a great monster story. Um, and it was about basically this monster just taking over. And it was gruesome and visceral, but also tender. There's a tender love story in there. She wrote, um, I worked with her on an interview, or I believe she wrote a piece for Library Journal about combining horror and romance. Uh, and I think that that's really important. But I will say the author everyone's talking about in terms of extreme horror. And I like to talk about extreme horror because there are awards now for it, the Splatterpunk Awards. But also, you know, if we have erotica in our libraries, we should have extreme horror as well. I mean, I'm a big proponent of that. But Eric LaRocca is the one that everyone's talking about. He writes stories, and and you can just look them up because everything is amazing. I think I've given almost everything I've read a star review. Um, They are gruesome. They are jarring. They are definitely um, based in his LGBTQ point of view. He has messed up people making messed up decisions and they are, you, you read them and you're disgusted, but you have so much fun and you don't want to stop. And they just make you uncomfortable in every way possible. So those would be my examples of the books
0: at the higher end. And I was just thinking while you were talking, Becky, about kind of like the different types of horror and and some things being some for some people and not for other people. Do either of you have any advice on like how to find out? I mean, maybe not just trigger warnings, but kind of just like how to find out what kind of scares are in a book to figure out whether that's going to to be good or bad for you and your personal kind of like tolerance for different types of horror? I mean, I talk about this
2: all the time. So what I say is you want to treat it like heat level with a romance. You need to know that there are levels, but you also need to know that everybody sets their own level. So when I talk about keywords in reviews, I think they're a huge help because those of us who review horror try to put those in. So on the lower end, you will see terms like atmospheric, creepy, gothic, In that middle level, you'll see things like dread, unease, frightening, maybe menacing, bleak. And then at the upper end, intense, terror, gore, violent, gruesome. Um, Last year, I did something with Booklist, which is totally free online for anyone to read. And I did share the link, so it should be in the show notes. Um, Because horror is a genre that is supposed to elicit strong feelings and is supposed to make people feel scared, you do have to be careful about not over scaring people, right? You want them to have fun. So you kind of ask people, what are you looking for? And some of the keywords we use in this piece I did with my editor, Susan McGuire, are things like, do you want to feel shivers? Do you want to feel dread? Do you want to be frightened? Um, Do you want to panic, right? Or do you want to feel terror? And I sort of start with that. And then in that piece, we define all of those levels. So for example, let's take a middle one, um, fright, right? It's menacing. They're not necessarily gory, but they can be. So readers who want to read these tales, they want to start to lose control of their fears, but they don't want to lose complete control. And as I talked about Mexican Gothic before, that's a book that sort of fits in that
0: middle range. Katie, do you have anything to add about figuring out whether something is like your type of horror or something that maybe is going to go a little too far for you? The keywords is a really good
1: place to start, and I would look at reviews as well. They are good at usually mentioning, like, trigger warnings or things like that. Um, beyond that, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. I like to ask people um, what stuff they've liked before, like, as far as movies, because people don't usually connect them with books as much, it seems. I will say, I also tell people to go to Goodreads.
2: Um, mm-hmm. Goodreads has its issues you know, there's, you could debate them all day. However, it is the one place where we working with library readers can go and see actual patrons, actual readers talking about a book, right? So I tell people when you're, when you're a little nervous about what to do, and you're not a big fan of horror yourself, and the reviews aren't helping you because you're, sometimes you're even too scared to read the reviews. I mean, straight up. Um, Look at those five-star and two-star reviews, or four even too, but especially those two-star reviews, because don't read the one-star reviews. Those are just haters, right? But the two-star and the three-star, those lower-end ones, but especially two-star, start to say, why I didn't like it? And often it's because it wasn't scary enough or it was too scary. And it might give you the exact reason why you need to know for you or to help your, your reader in front of you. Um, that's the first place I go when I want to be worried about um, how scary is too scary.
0: All right. So before we transition into the last chapter, uh, I know you already mentioned uh, several of them as we go, but Becky, is there anything else that our listeners should be looking out for you doing in the book reviewing and reader advisory sphere? Yes, so
2: um, I definitely would like everybody to know about my blog, RA for All Horror, and you can link that in the show notes. But every year I do... 31 Days of Horror. I do a giveaway all year long, and anyone who works in the library is welcome to enter. But every October, I blog every single day, and I provide a series of posts um, that mostly focus on other horror creators telling my readers why they love horror. So what I end up doing is spending the month introducing people all over the library world to people they might not, authors they might not know about, some of them they absolutely know about, right? Best-selling authors and people you barely heard of talking about why they love the genre to give examples of what is appealing about it to them. And then together, though that series of posts um, is searchable um, all year long. And has an, I have um, over 90 at the point, by the time you'll be reading this, of posts about that. Um, and then my blog in general is the home of my book. So it's a free update to the book. But it has lots of information going back even to like 2005, because it is the third edition of my book, um, of lists. I have some for people who are scared of horror. I buy best lists from every year. I have links to all my reviews. Um, I think that's the best place for people to see me and find me. I also run a national reading program along with some other people. Um, We work with the Horror Writers Association, Booklist Magazine, Book Riot, and United for Libraries. And it's called Summer Scares. And this, um, we're about to announce on Halloween our Year Five spokesperson. Every year, we highlight three books for adults, three books for young adults, and three books for middle grade. And they're vetted by a committee, and the committee's all there on the website. I, I have the link for you. Um, and we, our past spokespeople have been Stephen Graham Jones, Grady Hendrix, Sylvia marina Garcia on Alma Katsu. and um, they've all also been passed. Uh, authors, except for Grady, who is one of our founders. Um, and every year, we, the Springfield Green County Library in Missouri puts out a free programming guide. This is all linked there. So we go back now with that three years, and in that programming guide, we have every book, and each book has a page on it. It's got a summary. It's got the appeal factors from Novelist. We work with Novelist. Um, it's got program ideas, book discussion questions, and read-alikes. So if you're not sure where to start at any age level, that is where you go. So we just finished 2022. And like I said, we're starting. We've already been meeting with our spokesperson. We will announce that person on the 31st of October. And we announce the next year's titles on Valentine's Day because, you know, horror and Valentine's Day go together <laughs> so well. Um, and then we bring those people to StokerCon Con. And then StokerCon has a Librarian's Day, and it'll be in um, June in Pittsburgh this year. But you can use those lists any time of year. They're a great way to do vetted lists for
1: every age level.
0: All right, Katie, is there anything that you would like to plug?
1: At the Cumberland Library, I run a Stephen King Book and Movie Club. We're reading it this month, and it's the
0: third Tuesday of every month. All right, fantastic. Um, so we like to wrap up the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish-related question. And again, because we have librarians here, one who is very well-renowned for their reader's advisory, I thought I would ask you both, what is your favorite way to find out about new books to read? It's <laughs> funny you ask that, because when I train libraries, and I just did a training
2: yesterday, um, I tell them one of the questions they should ask each other and their reader, their patrons How do you find books to read for fun? Because often you uh, get so caught up in the resources that you're using on your own. When it comes to horror, I 100% use the Tor Nightfire list that Emily Hughes keeps up on their blog of all the books coming out for the whole year. And then she does a blog post for each month. So hopefully that can be put into the show notes. And I use that to plan my year definitely for my reviews and all of my reading. But I really like using um, the, I listen to NPR a lot. I get the NPR book of the day and I really enjoy that. It's a very short podcast where I get a book I might not have heard about anywhere else. Um, Sometimes horror pops up. They've done the Hacienda by Isabella Cañas this year. They did the Paul Bear's Club, which I already mentioned by Paul Tremblay um, and others. Um, I do that. And then my favorite place is Twitter. Library Twitter is great, but book Twitter is the best.
1: I find a lot of my books on Twitter as well, but from like authors, like Stephen King tweets a lot about things and that's how I found um, Thomas Olde Quigle. So I like do that. And I also, um, I'm in like a couple groups on Facebook for horror lovers. Um, so there's a lot of recommendations you get through there. Um, and I also will just often Google like, scariest books or like, you know, haunted house books or whatever. And I just go through lists and look for things that I haven't seen before. Um, Cause it's interesting what people will compile together for what they think is horror or not.
2: I will say one of my favorite tips, if you're working in a library, or even if you're just a patron coming to a library is to listen to the other readers that are coming through. I often got my favorite book recommendations from patrons, not other library people, not professional people. Um, And I just, I I can't tell you enough. I remember years ago when Seabiscuit came out, someone's, I'm like, I'm not going to read that. It's about a horse. She's like, Becky, it's not about a horse. (laughs) Trust me. That's just this reason to tell the story. And then I have one last tip because I will be doing this tomorrow. Once, one to two times a month, I volunteer at the school library. I'm mostly helping to catalog books, but before I worked with teens and up, and I, but I do love middle grade fiction and working with those kids, they give me so many great suggestions of things I should be reading. Plus I get to catalog all the new books. So I learned about books that way too.
0: I know. I was going to say when I used to work Cirque, it was like, it was bad because I was seeing all these new books. I was seeing all these books go that people are reading and stuff. And it's like, I'm not going to have time to read all these books that I see. Um, but yeah, it's almost like, uh, it's almost like window shopping, checking out seeing what everyone else is reading when you're checking out books. But yeah, I don't think I have anything else much to add, except I also do look on Twitter and, and on social media um, for books. And um, obviously I see stuff in review journals, which is what, Becky, what you were saying about kind of the, the standard things we're used to finding uh, books right through as librarians. Yeah. All right. So I think, that does it for us so thank you both for joining me today and thank you everyone for listening if you'd like to tell us about your favorite ways to find new books you can email us at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org or you can reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. if you're feeling generous please rate and review on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show thank you again for listening and this has been another episode of downtime Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Zach Berger, Nomi Hay, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza, and our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts, connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL, and if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. Join us next week for more downtime.
2: I like the title, by the way, of your podcast because it's not like a book pun. Thank Too many you. Thank I just.